Hello, listeners. This is Hillary Trudell, and you're listening to The Yarn Podcast. At The Yarn, we use the power of story to amplify voices, build understanding, and create space for human connection. We currently operate out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and all of the stories you're about to hear were performed live from South on Main in beautiful, historic downtown Little Rock. Our shows are theme-based and center on topics that come straight from our community. This is the second of a special two-part Halloween series jam-packed with true scary stories told straight from the mouths of yarn storytellers. So get ready to scare your truth once again for our special Halloween podcast. Let's dive in. Gabe Gentry was born exactly one week and 171 years after Abraham Lincoln. No names have been changed in his story because none of them are innocent. Hi. Hello. 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 All right. All right. A lot of people. A lot of candles. All right, so um, up until 2013, my grandfather, going back 23 years, was someone who had an incredible title. He held the title of Sovereign Grand Inspector General of the Ancient and Accepted Scottish Rite Freemasons. Of the Southern Orient of Arkansas. <laughs> that is a real title. <laughs> um, and that title had a lot of perks. <laughs> um, in Arkansas, it meant that he was the only person in a Masonic meeting who would wear a purple hat. Um, in Washington, D.C., it meant that he was one of 33 people who was part of the Supreme Council, the Mother Council of the World, the House of the Temple, the House of Solomon, and the Southern Jurisdiction of the United States of America in Washington, D.C., also real title. Uh, and, and if there are any like Da Vinci Codes fans in the audience tonight, uh, his follow-up novel to Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown, uh, was the lost symbol, and it took place in that building. <laughs> it was a magnificently terrifying structure. Um, but back in Arkansas, he had a master key to the Albert Pike Memorial Temple on Scott Street. Is anyone familiar with that? Like, raise your hand. <laughs> okay, go. All right, if you're not familiar with it, there are 40 iconic uh, pillars lining the, the, the block of Scott Street. And there are two double-headed eagles that guard the bronze doors into the entrance. And uh, for a lot of you guys, that's like a mystery, right? But to my brother and I, growing up in that building, it was kind of like a, um, a Goonies-esque adventure like on top of like the caverns, you know, it was like a Scooby-Doo mansion. 
And we loved it. And I explored everything that was available to me, right, for years. Um, when I was 14 years old, we uh, identified in the library a hidden panel. Uh, we were pulling books, like trying to find some kind of like secret hatch. And we were banging on the walls. And we banged on one, and it bounced. <laughs> And we pried it open, and behind the wall was a bookshelf full of National Geographic magazines, from the first novel, like of the first like magazine to the most recent, right? But there were two layers between us to get like to the other side, and I was terrified that a Mason would see me like having identified this like I don't know uh, opening. So we shut it, and a year went by, and we planned for everything. We had ropes for repelling. We had Pop-Tarts <laughs> for food. We had water. Uh, we had everything that we needed, and then my, my grandfather had a meeting, and we saw the opening, and we took it, and we went, and we popped the wall. <laughs> And we went inside, two layers, past the magazines, to a brick wall. For those of you who think that this brick wall was false and that we could have gotten through it, we tried everything. We pushed every single brick that we could, and we gave up. Years later, my grandfather entrusted me with his master key to the building. It unlocked every single door in that building. And I want, I want again, like, just like anybody who's seen the building, raise your hand. All right, all right. For those of you who haven't seen the building, it is terrifying on a sunny, like, summer afternoon at 2 p.m., okay? It is frightening. In 2002, I had friends who knew that I had a key to the building. I told them that I had boxes in the basement that I needed to like move out. And I said, like, could you come and help me do this? And they said, absolutely. <laughs> and so they showed up and I told them that part of the security protocol of the Scottish Rite Temple was that you couldn't have any lights on after 9 p.m. So we had this very muted, like, Watergate-type experience <laughs> uh, through the whole building. And so the first level is uh, an entire city block. And you look back, and you see a bust of Albert Pike, right? And you, you, know, you move back towards it. You go up a grand staircase. Before you go up the staircase, there is a, uh, like an elevator specifically for caskets. Um, just for Masonic funerals. It's, it's like a dumbwaiter, but deep. <laughs> and so you see that, and you go upstairs, and, and if you've never been there, like, there's this incredible, like, um, room, this auditorium, and it's got a grand chandelier. It seats, like, 250 people. It's, like, one of those things, like, where you say, like, 
I live in Arkansas. I should know that this exists, and you don't know that it exists. It's incredible, and it's got these hand-painted backdrops, and the backdrop that we had that night was depicting hell, and there were like these demonic figures like reaching up at, at people's feet, and so we do that, and then I show them the library, the library that I knew had the false panel, and then we make our way down into the basement. Again, the basement is a full city block, and it's got these doors, you know? It's almost like, uh, it's like a Willy Wonka experience. Like, some are big, some are small, some are ordinary, some are original <laughs> to the building. And you make your way through, right? And along the way, you've got these pledge class photographs from like the 1900s, where everybody is like sullen and sunken. And you make your way back. And we find our way at a door that looks like it's, it's, it's got that like oxidized feeling of the Statue of Liberty. It's green, it's got a ball weight. And at this point, I've got Lindsay Miller, who is the current editor of the Arkansas Times, Dave Ramsey, who is a very gifted contributing author to the Arkansas Times, and Dacus Thompson, who stole my girlfriend in the 11th grade. <laughs> and we're all in the basement of the Albert Pike Memorial Temple, and there's this green door, and they unlock it. And at this point, Lindsay had the flashlight. They push it open, and 20 feet down a very narrow hallway, is my friend Corbett Schaffner, dressed in a like head-to-toe black robe with a hood, <laughs> with a placid white mask, slits for the eyes and for the mouth. He is crunched over a lit candle, grinding an axe into the ground. <laughs> the light comes up and it catches Corbett. And he looks up and he says, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> and Lindsay, who had the, can uh, the, the flashlight at the time, he goes, what is that? <laughs> what is that? And passes out. <laughs> he falls down. Dave Ramsey catches him. He can't look at what's happening. <laughs> He just stares at Lindsay's head and says, Dacus Thompson, who stole my girlfriend in the 11th grade, shouts, quote, shit, fuck, no, and runs into a, a set of folding chairs. So uh, I have never been in a fight. But I have been punched, <laughs> and it happened right after that. Um, it was the greatest scare that I've ever done. Uh, my grandfather does not know about it, and neither do the Masons. So if anyone in the audience tonight is a Mason, 
or anyone listening on the podcast is a Mason, please do not cut my tongue out. <laughs> That's all I've got. Thanks. Julianne Dunn has recently repatriated to Little Rock. She's a fan of shenanigans, malarkey, and tomfoolery, and has been telling stories true and true-ish since she learned how to put words together into a sentence. She has kissed the Blarney Stone twice. If you know what that means, you will understand a lot more about Julianne. Here she is from the art stage. Thanks, everyone. I, I'm not afraid of fire, but I am uh, deathly afraid of how I got on and off the stage. Um, if, you're not, if you can't tell, there's no stairs, so we're just kind of like hopping. Um, and I am not coordinated, which is probably why I shouldn't stand by the fire, but I'm going to anyway. Um, I want to preface this, but this is not my story. Uh, the problem with Facebook is when you post a request for stories, friends from anywhere in the world decide to submit and offer your services. So. That is what has happened, so I am faithfully telling the story of my good friend Teresa and her family and the terrifying thing that happened to her and her neighbors. Um, so Teresa and her family grew up in Silicon Valley. If you're familiar with Silicon Valley, it didn't always used to be a beautiful tech area. It used to just be a beautiful orchard full of apples and peaches and other things that are grown on trees. I, don't know what those are, but it was beautiful. And she lived in the home that had been there from the very beginning. This house was built almost before the orchard was. And so all the old housey type things that happened, you know, doors slammed for no reason, windows closed for no reason. Um, and her, pa her father, who is a bit of a son of a bitch, used to tell them all the time, if you're bad, you know, this woman that used to live here, and come get you. And I grew up with one of those fathers too, so I had a boogeyman, but she was a witch. So I always thought, I, when she told me this story, I thought, oh, that's not bad. It's some old lady. That's fine. Um, so they lived in this house for a little while. Uh, Teresa has two younger siblings. Teresa is about my height. She's about 5'8". Her siblings are over six feet tall and have been since middle school. So Teresa might have been older, but she was picked on a lot. And one day, she and her, older, her younger sister, Shannon, are doing the things that siblings do. And if you had siblings, you understand that some things happen. You know, people are pushed downstairs, pushed into walls, furniture gets broken, stuff happens. Um, and they're doing this. The dog suddenly just kind of goes crazy. And they're, you know, shut up, shh, quiet. And then Shannon, kind of stops in front of this mirror. Oh, and there's a very convenient mirror. I'm just going to do it right here. And just stops and stares at the mirror and just like goes ashen. And Teresa's like, what's wrong, Shannon? She goes, the woman in the mirror tells me I'm a really bad girl. And Teresa's like, uh, there's no woman in the mirror? And Shannon's like, no, 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 seriously, you, you can't see her? She's like, right, like she's just doing this at me. Teresa's like, uh, are you messing with me? This is not cool. Uh, Teresa, till this day, is still very impressionable. And Shannon's like, no, I, this is not, mm-mm, nope. And she just like leaves and goes to her room, shuts the door, and won't come out for the rest of the day. And to this day, I used, Shannon and I actually used to live together as well, and 
she's to this day, I called her up after Teresa told me this crazy story, and she's like, nope, totally, I still see this woman in my head. She was wearing a long gray dress, buttons up to here, very severe bun, and I can still see her finger just at me. And it just haunts her. And if it was just her family, I think, you know, okay, they, her dad's stories got to her head, but apparently there's other stories in the neighborhood, including one time, her neighbor, who had a newborn, and it was very hot, and it gets pretty hot in the valley, um, and air conditioning seems to have been the slowest technology to be introduced into the valley. And so one day, this woman with a newborn, it's really hot, decides to open the window and let the baby sit in front of it, just any kind of breeze. And she goes into the kitchen, and she hears the window close, and like any normal human thinks it's an old house, windows close, it happens. And so she goes in, closes the window, goes back, to, I'm sorry, she opens the window again, she goes back into the kitchen, a few more minutes, the window closes again. She's like, this stupid ass house, I mean, come on. Uh, so she goes back out, opens the window again, you know, waves on the baby, kisses noises and all that, goes back in the kitchen, and the window closes again. And she's like, this is, whoa. She goes in to open the window and there's this woman in the window with a finger just like shaking at her. And she's like, okay, the window is staying closed. <laughs> and that is a normal story from all the neighbors have all seen this woman with the gray dress and the shaking finger whenever anyone's been a very bad girl. Our last storyteller in this series is Jason Woods. Jason doesn't necessarily not believe in ghosts. But if you are interested in hearing more about the McKinsey poltergeist, you can check it out on episode 19 of Lore. The episode is titled Bite Marks. Here's Jason's story. Thank you. So I'm here to tell you a story about a very creepy cemetery in Scotland. I was lucky enough to study abroad in college uh, in England, and then at the end, my girlfriend at the time, Melissa, and our friend, Debony, and I decided to go to Scotland. And we were gonna start off in Edinburgh, and it was a really exciting trip for me because I have some ancestors, I've been told, from Scotland. And also, I grew up Presbyterian, both my parents grew up Presbyterian, their parents grew up Presbyterian, and that's kind of where the roots of Presbyterians come from in Scotland. So it was kind of um, a trip where I could go and explore my roots a little bit, and I, I was excited about that. So we started in Edinburgh, and we had a great time. We would walk to and from our hostel, and every time we would get close to our hostel, we would see these signs advertising some ghost tours. And I didn't believe, it, I didn't believe in ghosts, so it, it wasn't that big of a deal. It wasn't scary, and I was kind of interested in it, but there was one ghost tour that really stuck out. And that's because people were being knocked unconscious during this ghost tour. <laughs> and there were newspapers that confirmed it, reputable newspapers like The Guardian, The London Times, that had quotes from people saying, yeah, I got, I got knocked unconscious. And so I didn't believe in ghosts, but I did believe in newspapers. <laughs> and I didn't really care why people were getting knocked unconscious. Uh, I didn't want to get knocked unconscious. So all three of us just unilaterally decided we were not going on this ghost tour. Until... 
The last day we were there, we were all standing by the same advertisement for the ghost tour, and uh, I don't know, maybe I was emboldened by the, the haggis I had tried earlier that day. <laughs> but we all kind of looked at each other, and I think we had the same thought. We're doing this, aren't we? So we did. We met at the appropriate place at the appropriate time, which was about an hour before the sun went down. And we met up with our tour guide and started walking around old Edinburgh. And our tour guide was a very good storyteller. She told us some, some, some pretty gruesome tales. One was from medieval Scotland. And so apparently they felt the need to torture people every now and then in medieval Scotland. And one of the ways they would do it was they would put you on a table against your will, and they would put a rat on top of your stomach, then they would put a cage on top of the rat, metal, and then they would put a bunch of hot coals on top of the metal cage so that the cage would heat up and the rat would panic because it needed to get out to survive. And there was only one way that the rat could get out, and that was the soft belly flesh of the person laying on the table so the rat would burrow through. Another really uplifting story that she told me. <laughs> Happens a little later on, I guess until maybe the 1800s, there wasn't really a sewage system uh, in Edinburgh. And so what people would do was they would collect the human refuse in their house, and then they would throw it out the window. But they would give a, uh, they would give a warning. They would, they would yell, Gardy Lou, which was a kind of a bastardization of French, meaning beware the water. <laughs> so if you heard Gardy Lou, you wanted to run out of the way pretty quickly, or your day was about to be ruined. So I think we can all agree that Edinburgh, um, old, old Edinburgh, sounds like a really fun place. Um, but none of these stories were really scary. They were gruesome, they were gross, but they weren't really scary. And we were in the front of the line, and our tour guide would talk to us kind of as we were walking from place to place. And when she was giving the tour, she had this thick Scottish brogue. But when we were talking to her, it kind of dropped off a little bit. She would talk on her cell phone a little bit. Uh, so I thought, you know what, this is, this is kind of cheesy, but I'm into it, it's fun, it's a good way to see the city. And so we keep walking and we, we end up at Greyfriars Cemetery. And the first thing that we saw when we come to Greyfriars Cemetery is a statue of Greyfriars Bobby. Greyfriars Bobby was a dog, a Skye Terrier, and the legend is that his owner died when he was a young, a young pup. And after he was buried at Greyfriars Cemetery, Bobby would go to his owner's grave every day for the next 14 years to take care of him. So a really sweet story. I don't think it's true. <laughs> but I appreciated it as a, as a dog lover. And then the sun went down, and the whole tenor of the evening kind of changed. And so our tour guide said, can everybody see those hills over there? And we said, yeah, they're, they're pretty tall hills. They're everywhere here in the cemetery. She said, during the time of the bubonic plague, so many people died so quickly that they didn't have enough room for all of the bodies. So what they would do is they would stack all of the plague corpses on top of each other and put dirt on them. And eventually, they became these mounds that you see just mounds of plague corpses. And she said, follow me. And we walked over the mounds of plague corpses, 
to the real crown jewel of the evening, the Black Mausoleum. Now, the Black Mausoleum is the final resting place of one Sir George Mackenzie. He was a lawyer, he was Catholic, and his great joy in life was persecuting Presbyterians, my people. And so we were still in the front of the line, and so we were the first ones to go to the mausoleum. We go into the back, and about 30 people crowd in. So everyone is about, is like shoulder to shoulder, and it's hot, and it's humid, and it's kind of hard to breathe, it's really gross. And everybody's just shoved in like sardines, except there's this space to my left. Um, it was a little offensive, I'm not sure why no one wanted to stand to my left, but no one did. Um, but it, it was still, it was nice outside, but it was just disgusting inside. And our tour guide starts talking about how she's supposed to lock us into the mausoleum. And she says, but I'm not going to do that, because the last time I did that, I was attacked by the poltergeist. The poltergeist strangled me until somebody else grabbed the key from me, unlocked the mausoleum, and we got out. And after we got out, you could see the finger marks around my throat for weeks. Conveniently, they had just healed. <laughs> but you know what? I appreciated the detail of the story, and I was into it. And right as she's finishing her story about her, her own strangulation, somebody in a costume comes running out from behind her and yells, and everybody in the mausoleum screams and then starts laughing and then the tour guide starts laughing. We're all laughing, we're all having a good time. And then she says, but seriously, <laughs> the difference between a poltergeist and a ghost is that a poltergeist can harm you and it feeds off of the nervous energy and fear of all the living people around it. So now that we've stirred up the poltergeist, we're all in danger of being attacked. <laughs> so here's what you do. If you feel an intense cold emanating from the middle of your body outward, I'm going to need you to take one step to your left or one step to your right, because you're about to be knocked unconscious by the poltergeist. Okay. That is oddly specific, I thought. But again, I'm, I'm really into the details. So she starts telling stories, and again, she's a really good storyteller. She's telling stories about people who got knocked unconscious in the mausoleum, people who had bite marks, who had scratch marks at the end of their evening. She talked about people who were strangled, like her. She talked about people who lived on the outskirts of the cemetery who would come home to blood dripping down their walls and to their fine china exploding out of their cupboards in the middle of the night. And I was really engrossed in the stories until something kind of distracted me. And it was kind of this, kind of this breeze, kind of coming in around my shins. And I thought that's really weird, because I, I didn't feel like there was any ventilation in here. I was sweating earlier. And it, it was coming from my right, and so Melissa was holding my arm. And I think our legs were probably touching, and Debony was holding her arm, and there were 30 people in front of us. And it wasn't a cool breeze, it was a cold breeze. And so I look at Melissa, I look at Debony, they're not bothered by it, nobody else seems bothered by it. I thought, that's really weird. And then the, the breeze starts circling my shins around the back of my calves, 
back to the front of my shins again. I thought, that's not how breezes work. <laughs> it's really weird. I thought, I just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know how to explain that. And then I thought, no, surely, surely not. Surely not. But I thought about that warning, intense cold, okay, okay. Left or right, I mean, okay, I'll give it a shot. And so I kind of extricate myself from Melissa's grasp. And I said something like, I'm just gonna, just gonna stand over here, no big deal, totally normal. And I took one big step to my left, one small step to my left just to make sure, and the breeze went away. So then I listened a little bit more intently to the stories that our tour guide was telling, and nothing else happened to me for the rest of the tour. We left the mausoleum, the black mausoleum, and our tour guide said she was selling some books, and I said, yeah, I'm kind of interested in a book, I'll take a book. And we talked about the poltergeist for a little bit. And then Melissa and Devin and I walked back to our hostel, weaving our way through a whole lot of drunk people, having a good time. And I think we probably started off talking about the poltergeist and, and the tour and all that, and it, our conversation probably turned to something else by the end. It was a long walk. And we got back to the hostel, and I was going to go to the, the boys' room, and they were going to go to the girls' room. And I, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I sat down in a chair, and I rolled up my pants legs, and around both of my shins were bruises, solid bruises, same spot on both shins, that wrapped around my shins, back around my calves, back around to my shins again, exactly where that cold breeze had been. So I said, hey, I have something to share with the group. <laughs> and I told them the story that I just told you, and I ended it by saying, but you know what, maybe I bruise easily, maybe I ran into something, I don't remember it. And they both looked at me, and at about the same time, they said, no, you know what happened. Thanks. That's our show for tonight. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Hilary Trudell, and this is The Yarn Podcast. The Yarn Podcast is a production of the Big Rock Switchboard Network. Big Rock is produced by Whit Berenger, and this show was edited by Omaya Jones. You can find out more about The Yarn at www.theyarnstorytelling.com. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Lastly, we would love to hear from you. You are our community, and we want to make sure we represent what matters to you on our stage. Scary or not, we put true stories on the stage. Send us your suggestion for upcoming shows and comments about our podcast to info at theyarnstorytelling.com. And remember, we believe in the power of story. Everyone's got a story. What's yours? I'm your host, Hillary Trudell, and we'll see you next time.